Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our special guest, Amanda Blackwood. She and I are already having fun. Amanda is an accomplished artist and author, public speaker, podcast host, trauma recovery mentor, and a survivor of human trafficking. Amanda has spoken on a multitude of stages, international summits, radio programs, and has published over a dozen books. She launched two podcasts, one that focuses on interviewing other authors of trauma and the other that discusses the long-term consequences of trauma and how to fight back for a better life. A portion of every book sale goes to help fight human trafficking. Amanda lives in Denver, Colorado with her rescue cats and supportive husband who keep her sane. Welcome to the show, Amanda. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much, Angel. It's such a joy for me to be able to be with you. Well, you know, I am very excited to bring your presence and your story to this platform. And you know, a lot of times I I interview my guests and we start talking about their childhood and, you know, oh, how did it inspire you and all of those things. But, you know, a lot of times when somebody has trauma in their life, it comes from childhood. So I am curious about that, whether the human trafficking piece was where the trauma came from or whether there was pre-existing conditions from your childhood. And if you'd like to talk about that. So human trafficking was actually kind of later on in life for me. Mm. So we have kind of a weird myth here in the U.S. where human trafficking only happens to kids. Mm. The oldest person here in the state of Colorado in recent years to be pulled out of trafficking was in her 70s. (laughs) Only one quarter of all victims of human trafficking are under the age of 18. So I was actually an adult by the time I was trafficked the first time. I was trafficked three different times in three completely unrelated circumstances. but. It was that early childhood trauma that left me more susceptible to it. I Mm. had the ability to say no taken away from me at such a young age that I never really learned until I almost hit 40 how to use my own voice. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to get an education today on human trafficking, obviously. So, Amanda, I'd love to have you talk now because you've just educated me instantly that, you know, the oldest person was 70 that came out of human trafficking. Can you speak about exactly what this is for those listeners who have heard the word, but really aren't really sure what that means or have misconceptions or preconceived notions? I think it would be really helpful for you to kind of go a little bit deeper and and describe exactly what human trafficking is for our listeners. I always tell people to make sure that they go to a reliable source for the definition of human trafficking. You can't Google this. You can't look it up on Wikipedia. These are fallible resources that are human run and human nature 
is occasionally to make mistakes. There's nothing wrong with that, but we need to have a definitive answer. So I tell people to go to the Department of Homeland Security. They define human trafficking as the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain labor or commercial sex acts from another person. So if you notice, there's no mention of money because commercial sex acts does not mean prostitution. Prostitution does not mean human trafficking. And there's no mention of transportation, even though we hear the word trafficking and we think of traffic on the road. Mm. The trafficking in human trafficking means the transactional piece. So labor trafficking, as even though we want to talk about sex trafficking here in the U.S. all the time, sex trafficking is only about 14% of what trafficking here is in the U.S. The majority of trafficking is labor trafficking. Okay, so what is that? Explain that. What is labor trafficking? So labor trafficking can be a number of different things. There's one that is wage theft, where Mm -hmm. somebody is being told, you owe me and I'm not going to, you have to sign your paycheck over to me, or I'm not going to pay you until your debts are paid. There's debt bondage, where somebody is brought into the U.S. or rescued from some kind of a bad situation and told, now you owe me. I'm not going to pay you at all, but you're going to work for me. You're going to be my maid. You're going to be my servant. You're going to work in the fields. You are going to work in my restaurant. Enslavement, essentially. Basically, yeah. Right. So human trafficking is just the new word for slavery. Interesting. Okay. So we have labor trafficking, which is essentially slavery. What else? Sex trafficking, which is about 14% here in the U.S. Okay. And organ trafficking. Oh, okay. Organ trafficking. Thankfully, we don't have a whole lot of that here, but it does happen often in some other countries. There are people who will wake up in a bathtub full of ice with one of their kidneys missing because somebody took a kidney. But it's more than that, too. You know, we hear about the kidney issues because these people are alive long enough to talk about it. They have two kidneys. They can survive without one. What if it's a liver? There's a lot of organs that can and are often taken from somebody who was perfectly healthy and alive, but somebody else paid a lot more money to receive that life. Okay. So organ trafficking is essentially murder and harvesting. Right. Except for kidneys, maybe. Right. Okay. And eyes. And eyes. Great. Yeah, Great. I don't want to get into too many details. It gets Great. Well, no, there. I think we need. So, so Amanda, I think we need to be having our eyes open. That's one of the reasons why I'm having you here today to have this conversation with me, because it's kind of an interesting like, oh, human trafficking. It's a label. People are bandying it around. They don't really know what the hell they're talking about. And so, you know, I appreciate your willingness to give us the details. So we have labor trafficking, we have sex act trafficking, we have organ trafficking, any other kind of trafficking that we've missed here. There's some debate on whether or not child soldiers belongs in labor trafficking or not. Honestly, I'm of the opinion that it needs to have its own category. This is a very big issue in many, many parts of Africa and Asia. Okay. All right. So let's talk about human trafficking. Where is it most prevalent? It's everywhere. It's in small towns. It's in big cities. Here in the U.S., the most common location to find somebody that's been trafficked or has or is currently being trafficked is in upper middle class, decent neighborhoods across the country. 
Hmm. People want to say it only happens in third world countries or it's a poverty issue. That's not it at all. It's a power issue. It's a human issue. Sure, sure. I have a question that might be a little odd. What would cause somebody who's in an uh, affluent middle-class neighborhood to do this? Like, is it trauma from their own childhood? Like, can we talk a little bit about what would incite someone to participate in this? It has everything to do, unfortunately, with supply and demand. And it's also important to understand who the traffickers are. We hear about these kidnap scenarios and stuff, and we think that's what trafficking looks like. That's about one to two percent of all cases. Most people that are trafficked are trafficked by people they already know and trust and love, like their own parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, boyfriends and girlfriends. Those are the most common forms of traffickers not movie stars, not famous people like Epstein. These are very small minorities, but these are the ones that get sensationalized. So these are the only ones that we really hear about. So the reason that it's such a high percentage in these upper middle-class neighborhoods is because you've got people that are preying on anybody that they find to be vulnerable. And when you have a teenager Or a young lady who's living in an upper middle class neighborhood, more than likely they owe a lot of money on their home or their cars and they have to work a lot. The parents have to work. The boyfriend, the husband has to work a lot. And this young lady or this young man is left at home alone. They're left to their own devices. They make friends. Sometimes those friends are with the wrong people. They start having relationships with them, whether they're affairs or romantic relationship or a deep, powerful friendship they believe is a powerful friendship. This is what traffickers do. They will worm their way into somebody's life like a parasite. They will find what that person is looking for and needing desperately in their lives, whether it's attention or love or somebody to do things with. And they will promise them the world and give them everything they've ever wanted. And when that person learns to depend on them, they have them. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the parents that traffic because uh, parents and grandparents. It's interesting because I had a client many years ago, one of my early clients in my business, and she was prostituted by her grandparents, her grandmother. And uh, one of the things I help people with is their money stuff. And in her case, all the money that she would receive had to be handed over to her grandparent. And so as an adult, when she was trying to have her own business, she had all kinds of stuff around the money, obviously. So what is it in the perpetrator? What is it in the perpetrator that causes them to do this? Is is it a trauma that they might have experienced? Or do we have any other insight into what would cause a parent or a grandparent to traffic their own child or grandchild? A lot of times it can be mental health issues. They might be a sociopath. They may be somebody who has narcissistic tendencies. Mm. They don't have the empathy bone. They don't know how to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. And therefore, they don't care about what that other person is feeling or experiencing or going through. All they know is that they're benefiting from this. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's really a power thing more than anything is what I'm hearing there power yeah. over and and there's something that they benefit out of that. Okay. Right. All right. So let's talk B 
before we go to the break, Amanda, about maybe if you're willing, your own trafficking experiences and how you, you know, discovered that you were being trafficked, maybe because, (laughs) you know, maybe as somebody who was being trafficked, you didn't realize it until later. Right. I had no idea. It was while I was sitting in the front row of an anti-trafficking conference in 2018, when I heard this absolutely wonderful young lady stand up and tell her story on stage about how she had been trafficked. And then a panel of speakers were talking about the signs of trafficking and what it actually looks like. And they were breaking all these myths down. And as I sat there, I started to realize that everything they were describing was things that I had experienced and been through three different times in my life. And it was like my whole world around me was just crumbling. Mm. I had to recognize that I was trafficked once when I was 18 by a man who was more than twice my age, who was my boyfriend at the time. I was living with him and he loaned me out as a party favor for his best friend's birthday party. Mm. And then I had to recognize that it happened again when I was 19, living completely across the country from this. I'd gone from Arizona to Florida. I had planned on staying with my grandmother and instead was left on the curb at the Daytona Beach bus station with $5 in my pocket and nowhere to go. And a young couple came and found me and told me they had a place for me to stay until I could get on my feet. And what they really meant was they had a place that they could, that I could stay until I found the highest bidder. Mm. Then I really had to focus and understand that the five months of torture that I had survived in Scotland when I was 31 years old was also human trafficking. Even though I knew the man for seven years before I ever went there, even though we were engaged to be married, even though he was a police officer, what he did to me was not only despicable, but it was human trafficking. Hmm. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to find out how you help people to get out and maybe how you helped yourself as well. But right now, Wickedly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you're enjoying the show, please consider joining our community, making a donation at wickedlysmartwomen.com and sharing with your lovely lady friends that might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so that we can serve them too. I want to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing from all over the world. We're now downloading in 115 countries. We're welcoming thousands of downloads. And I want to shout out this week to our listeners. We might as well use Scotland. To our listeners in Scotland, to our listeners in Colorado, to our listeners in Pakistan. And if anything that you have already heard on this episode is triggering you and you think you might be in a situation where you're being trafficked, I definitely want you to get in touch with Amanda and we'll talk about how you can do that right after this break. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by women in transition. 
Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Amanda Blackwood. Before we went to the break, we talked about Amanda's personal experience with being trafficked at 18, at 19, and at 31. So I want you to go to growthfromdarkness.com, growthfromdarkness.com. That's the website where you're going to find all of Amanda's work that she does, as well as her podcast links. And if you are interested in her books, her book sales go to help fight human trafficking. Definitely want to encourage anybody who's being triggered by this conversation to seek out some support with this. And if it's not Amanda, I'm sure she's got a a ton of resources on her site where she can point you to other people who are also helping, like the other authors of trauma that she interviews on her podcast. Yeah. So this is a special kind of trauma, Amanda, because it breaks the fundamental societal expectation that you can trust people that you love. And it's highly erosive to the victim's well-being and all the other things that are part of what we've talked about in the first half of the show. So will you take us out? Where did you find the courage? What did you need to acknowledge, understand, or do to get your own growth from the darkness and get out? I had to hit absolute rock bottom. And by that, I mean, When I got out of there, people think that just because you leave an abusive situation, everything is better. Everything is going to get better. But you've got all this trauma that you're carrying around in your body and your body remembers, your brain remembers, you've got PTSD. How do you deal with all of this at once? It is completely overwhelming. He came looking for me. He hunted me down over and over. He came over to the U.S. from Scotland to find me. I moved from California finally to Colorado. I changed my appearance. I had really short hair at the time. I grew my hair out. Um, I colored my hair for a while, trying to just be a different person so that I wouldn't stand out. I tried to change my name, anything I could to hide. I just Mm. wanted to hide. Mm. And in 2019, I found out that he'd made me famous on a pornography website. He had taken all these photos and videos and he was still making money off of me. And I crumbled at first. It was I didn't know how I was going to survive this. I wasn't sure if I even wanted to survive this. And I reached out to an anti-trafficking organization that I had seen on that panel of speakers in 2018. And I told them, I said, I need help. I don't know what to do. And it was really the first time that I had asked for help hmm. in this whole thing. So they paired me up with one organization that set up survivors of trafficking with pro bono legal services. And those legal services started attacking these pornography websites and demanding that they pull this stuff down. Mm. And then they set me up with a therapist. And I traumatized that first therapist so much that she left the industry. She quit. And they had to pair me up with a second one. The second one was great. I went in with the mindset of, I'm ready to do this. Mm. 
let's get the job done. And I told her, I said, I have two big things that I need to ask of you. Number one, do not come at me with prescription medication. I do not want a Band-Aid. I want a shovel. Mm -hmm. Number two, do not treat me like I am some fragile porcelain doll, because if I was going to break, I'd have done it already. About a year and a half later, I had a major breakthrough thanks to EMDR and Mm -hmm. tapping Mm -hmm. and verbal therapies. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, that was, we got, connected in the summer of 2019. And in December of 2020 was when this massive breakthrough just happened. I not only had the title for my autobiography, but I finally had the drive to actually write it. I thought I would be afraid to write this my entire life because I lived in fear. Mm -hmm. But I figured finally, if people were going to be finding me from these pornography websites, that no matter how much we fought, one would go down, two more would go up, including all of my social media information. If people were going to find me anyway, they were going to find out why. If he's going to be sending traffic my way, I'm going to turn it around and use it for a positive. Mm. If he's going to tell people who I am, I'm going to tell everybody who he is. Mm. And I did not stop. Mm. That book was published on my 10-year anniversary of freedom from human trafficking, which was two years ago in June of 2021. And a month later, was when I met my husband. I had learned how to take all of this poison that had been building up in my body, in my heart, in my mind, and I gave it a physical body separate from me. Mm. And I could set it down on the shelf and walk away from it. It no longer ruled my life. I told it where it belonged. Mm. It was one of the best things I could have done for myself. We need creative outlets Mm. as survivors of any kind of trauma. Writing is only one of them Mm. that helped me to get through. At the end of writing that book, my entire world had changed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so a few things that I want our listeners to hear. Number one, you found a way. It's almost like you did a keto. Isn't that the name of that martial art where... (laughs) where you take what's coming at you and you turn it and use that energy. You you really alchemized, you actually alchemized the experience and continue to be alchemizing that experience. The second thing that I want our listeners to hear is even if you have not experienced or been a survivor of human trafficking, as we mentioned at the beginning, Amanda had trauma from her childhood that made her susceptible to human trafficking. I am right now myself personally at the somatic part of trauma release. I've done a lot of spiritual trauma release, mental mindset, emotional trauma release. I had a traumatic childhood and many traumatic experiences over my life. Never, thankfully, human trafficked, knock on wood. However, trauma does take hold of every aspect of your life and your physical body. And so, you know, she asked for help. She got help. So I'm going to encourage you. If you have any kind of trauma and any of this conversation is triggering you, asking for help is step one. Getting clear that you actually are allowed even to ask for help is incredibly important. And then the last piece that I want you to hear is she found her voice and started writing and creating and allowing the energy to be expressed out of her and into a work, a body of work you know, whether a book or a piece of art or whatever, I'm sure you've done a lot of artwork as well. Amanda. This is actually one of mine hanging up behind me here. Yeah. Beautiful. I have art all over my 
house as well. <laughs> right. So I want to talk and we only have a few minutes left. We could spend hours. You and I could spend hours having this conversation. So in the last few minutes that we have left, I'd love to have you speak, Amanda, about because you yourself are your own success story. But I'd love to have you speak about the people that you are now helping. Who would be uh, the right kind of person to come and work with you to help move through some of their own trauma and recover their life? I tend to work with people who have already started at least the beginning stages of the healing process. So I'm not a a therapist, so I can't really dig into a lot of that stuff with them. And it can be traumatic to tell that kind of stuff to another trauma survivor. Mm -hmm. What I focus on, what I'm really good at is figuring out what people's trauma triggers and trauma reactions are. I teach them what they are, how to recognize them, and then what the long-term consequences are of not fighting back against them. And then we go into what you can do to try to retrain your brain to work beyond that. Mm. It is incredibly rewarding to have somebody come back to me and say, you know, I used to have this reaction whenever my husband said X, Y, Z. And now I've completely changed it around. I've had a conversation with him to tell him, I need you to work with me on this. They're learning how to have better communication skills with the people in their lives. This is all wonderful stuff. I love hearing about these success stories. So people that have already started the, tra the trauma recovery process all the way through to people who have been out of that process for years. I've helped other survivors of human trafficking and other trauma survivors publish their own stories when they finally found their, their voice. Mm. Okay, beautiful. So you are multidimensional in what you offer, Amanda, which is awesome. All right. Well, in the last minute, is there anything that you would like our listeners to know about either you or human trafficking or trauma recovery? There's something I want them to know about themselves. Asking for help is not a weakness. We have this idea that it means that we're weak if we ask for help, and that's not it at all. In fact, Asking for help is a strength, and that's why it's so difficult to do. You can't walk up to a total stranger who's never lifted weights in their life and ask them to lift a 200-pound barbell, can you? Mm -hmm. You can't expect them to do this. So if you're somebody who's been trained your entire life never to ask for help, start small. Ask somebody who's in the same room with you if they would please hand you that ink pen or that box of tissues that small mm -hmm. and build on that. Build up this trust within yourself that if you ask this person for help, they are going to be there for you. They're going to help you. And we have to recognize that the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, is a lie. Mm -hmm. That was made up by a man by the name of Frederick Nietzsche in the 1800s, not too long before he died in an insane asylum. We can let that one go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let that one go. <laughs> the truth is, it is not our abuses. It is not our past. It is not our traumas that make us stronger. It is our resiliency and our will to survive. It is us. It always has been us. And we have the strength inside us now. Mm, beautiful. Acknowledge that strength. Acknowledge that strength, listeners. Acknowledge it now. I love the activation you just brought, Amanda, for our listeners all over the world. Listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you think of today's episode. Go right now to wickedlysmartwomen.com to join our community, share your takeaways, ask questions, or submit guest suggestions. Again, 
If you have been triggered by this episode, go to growthfromdarkness.com where Amanda has a vast array of resources available for you and connections. You know, not everybody's going to resonate with Amanda, but I'm sure that there are other people that are in her circles that you might resonate with. And she's got a clearinghouse there of support. So ask for help. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep your ears open and remember you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.